I'm Robert Arari. I'm Salvatesh. It's Tuesday. Who gives a shit? It's daytime. It's coronavirus. Nobody knows what day it is anymore. And it's casual pour. Yes. Oh, man. Nobody really knows what day it is anymore. It's, I, All I, I the days this. just kind of blend in and out. Honestly, I'm just like scheduling my meetings for tomorrow. Like, I don't, I don't really, I'm not scheduling for like, what's your schedule like on Tuesday the 30th or whatever. I'm Are Tuesday you more productive because of this? Because I can't, t- like, I'm, I'm up and down. Like, I'm more productive and then it's like, oh, I got work. I'm so comfortable. I don't want to do work. But then it's like, oh, but now I have extra time. I should do work. Nobody knows what's, what's the right thing to do. Nobody knows. I'm like working. I'm 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 getting my shit done. Like I have a to-do list and I complete the to-do list by the end of the day, but it's not in the same 8 hours. Like it's not happening all at once like it usually does. It's like I'll work for like half an hour, then take a break for like another half hour, and then work for like another half hour, and then take a break for another half hour. You know what I mean? I have a tough time believing that you're that good with your schedule. Yeah, I mean, if I'm also being honest, I um I downloaded Call of Duty. Yeah, recently. I called you today at like four o'clock. Like, hold on, wait, Tom, I got you, Tom. <laughs> but what's it called? I like I was I, I thought like okay, I'll just play like one or two games. So for the past two nights, I've stayed up till seven a.m. I won't download that stuff. I won't do it because I'm gonna get addicted and I'm gonna do that. It will ruin your sleep schedule. I already have a crap sleep schedule. It ruins it. It throws it right out the window. True. All right. What do we got today? So this week, we're going to be talking about how the world is going to look after coronavirus. We've already talked about who's going to make money off coronavirus. We're talking about how companies are reacting to coronavirus. Now we're going to talk about what the world looks like after coronavirus. Then we're going to also talk to some friends. Then we're also going to talk to Rowan Winch and and Lewis Lewis Weed. And so we're going to talk about how to make money off of memes. You guys all use these meme accounts. You share them on your Instagram stories. You share them in your Instagram DMs with friends and all in, in your groups. Someone is making money off of those things. And it's actually people like these two 15 and 17 year olds who are just raking in dough. It's crazy. Off of memes. I f- we it's, found them in a New York Times article. So they got to write up it, in the Sunday Times. 15 years old. He's got to write up in the old. Sunday Times. Insane. And then after our interview with um, Lewis and Rowan, we're going to talk about the $2 trillion stimulus package. A bunch of people are getting $1,200, but uh, there was a $500 billion contested fund of where that money should be spent. Uh, Should that money be able to go to companies without any sort of regulation? Should they be able to use them for something called stock buybacks um, or not? Uh, and so we're going to talk about stock buybacks and what those mean, because you've heard about those in the news before. Um, so we're going to talk about what those mean and then where Sal and I both stand on those. Um, and then from there, we're going to wrap things up. So yeah, Sal, why don't you give us a quick update on what is going on with coronavirus? Give us the latest. So, uh, you know, it's funny. What was it like a month ago or two months ago? I, how long ago did we start the show? We started the show March 2nd was, I think, the, fir- the air date. Okay, so we started recording in February. So when Corona was in China, we were talking about it during one of the episodes. And we're like, oh, yes, Corona thing. It's never going to work out. The episode never aired. We cut a lot of it um, for technical reasons. We were still trying to figure it out. But it's funny because we were talking about it like this thing is not a big deal. And now over 100, almost, almost as of this recording right now, 
Almost 160,000 people have it in the U.S. Already more people have it in the U.S. than China and Italy. Um, Woof. Yeah, New York is still number one in coronavirus cases. We're both from New York. We're both still stuck in the in the house. Um, New York deaths top 1,200. And um, President Trump is requiring GM to pump out some ventilators. Uh, oh, and then my favorite news, not my favorite news. It's bad news, but it's like I kind of called it. Um, Macy's and Gap are furloughing their um, employees. It's not a great story, but in all honesty, I think it's the final nail in the coffin for these departments. Gap's not a department store, but they weren't doing so well before this thing either. So there's a lot of interesting things going on, and, and the stock market's still down 25% from its all-time high, but it's going back up. More people are getting coronavirus, and the market's going up. Like I don't understand it at all. It makes no sense. It shouldn't happen. So that's the news for this week. I'm very upset about it. I could tell. I'm very upset because, because it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. And you know what? When it gets really bad, then it's going to get really bad in the market because nobody's going to be ready for it because everyone's being so positive. It's, not, it's a good thing to be positive, but don't lie to yourself. We haven't even hit the worst yet. Anyway, that's my take on the market. How are you? This is why I don't invest in the stock market. Right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work on, a, I'm going to make like a, like a compilation a year from now. Because every episode, it's like, you know, this is why I don't invest in the stock market. This is why I don't invest in the stock market. This is why I don't invest in the stock market. This is why. Do you know Robert doesn't invest in the stock market? Obviously, my goal through this show is hopefully Robert get by something. Maybe it's in a year from now. Maybe two. Who knows? But how do you think, how do you think Corona is going to change the yeah, world? Yeah, good luck. Going forward. Uh, so how is Corona going to change the world? Because um, everything changes after. It's like 9-11 everything changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could, you, you could look at this as comparable to 9-11, right? Like what our view of government looked like before, what our view of government looked like after, what our view of the world looked like before, et cetera. And I think when you look at coronavirus and how it's going to affect the world going forward, I think we should be looking at how China handled this. Uh, as everyone knows at this point, uh, China has radically reduced, if not completely eradicated, uh, the coronavirus. Um, they've been taking and they've been doing that by taking these drastic, like draconian, Orwellian, dystopian Got any measures. Other words there? Any other scary words? Scary that words. Say like this is wow. They've been not only investing into really advanced uh, video surveillance that also includes like facial recognition and things like that, but they've also been going under the skin. They are making sure that people are mapping their body temperatures, and then cross-checking that alongside their facial identity that they have so they could see who's getting sick, who knows who, and who's interacted with who. So That's bad. how they got through this So thing. bad. That, yeah, that coupled with like mass quarantining. But we should be looking at China because I think you're going to start to see this new, I mean, this renewed conversation around privacy versus security, right? And Yuval Noah Harari, um, who I am not related to, but he is incredible, and I'm very thankful that he exists because he's making it a lot easier for people to pronounce my last name. <laughs> but, what he, but what he said is that one of the things that you know, we could start to see is an evolution from just over-the-skin surveillance to under-the-skin surveillance. So over-the-skin surveillance is that facial recognition, is videos. The stuff and we already don't like. Are. Stuff we already kind of don't like and are already generally uncomfortable with. He thinks that we may even take it a step further. And we may go into under the skin surveillance. He sees a world where people are wearing bracelets that monitor our health, 
that monitor our heart rate, that monitor our body temperature, et cetera. We already have the tech, right? It's on an, it's on an Apple watch. It's on Ech. a Fitbit, Ech. right? So it's already there. And he sees the world like in the next pandemic, it's mandated that this happens. And then after the pandemic, it stays. And so that may not sound all too bad. In the case of a pandemic, we can map who knows who, who's been in touch with who, who's sick before they even got sick, right? Or before they really showed any of the terrible, terrible symptoms or infected more people. Fine. But then at the same time, that also means that government can monitor how your heart rate changed when you watched a specific YouTube video or what music you like based on your heart rate. Um, I mean, the the list goes on and on and on and on and on of what the government can do if they have that data. And the thing is, it's not it's it's safety versus security. What do you what do you value more? So. Thing number one I'm going to list here is that we're going to see a renewed conversation around surveillance. What about you? For me, I think that people's idea of cleanliness is going to change. Now, you know, I don't have a famous author to quote here um, with the same last name as you. I think after this whole coronavirus thing breaks, um, people are going to be way more cognizant of what they're doing touching surfaces, where they're going, who they're talking to, shaking hands. Shaking hands, that's not coming back for, I would say, two years. Shaking hands is still going to happen. They, it will, but you'll think, about, you'll think twice before you shake someone's hand. And by the Maybe. way, when you're done, you may go wash your hands or put a ton of hand sanitizer on. And by the way, you'll probably walk around with hand sanitizer everywhere you go. So people are going to start thinking about what they're touching, where they're going, their health. Health and wellness, I think, is going to go. Health and wellness was already a, a category that was becoming hotter. I think this is going to take health and wellness to a totally new level. So that's for me where I think after Corona, people are just going to be so concerned about health, where they're going, who they're talking to, what they're putting their hands on, um, and just general hygiene. Yeah, actually, and like building off of that, right? Like not only do I think people are going to be sanitizing more and things like that, I think people are also going to maybe even subconsciously not completely eradicate, but opt to be um, distant socially in one way, shape or form. So for example, like getting into your Uber, right? I think you're going to see like a rise in autonomous Ubers. Oh, The technology is already being developed. I think that's going to become- I mean, that was already happening. That was already happening, but- It's already happening, but now I think the consumer is going to be a lot more comfortable with it than I think they used to be. Um, same thing goes with like those automated robots now that are starting to deliver Postmates packages and things like that. I, I think you're going to see a lot more of these. Yeah, I think you're going to see like a lot more of these like autonomous, completely touch-free experiences starting to happen, or like interaction-free experiences in place of places, in place of areas where you usually used to interact with humans. Um, the next thing I actually want to talk about is. One of the big conversations that this also sparked, aside from just privacy, is you know nationalism versus globalism, right? Is coronavirus the fault of globalism and ergo a? I mean, and therefore, you know, we should be throwing out globalism altogether, and we should be taking steps to move away from it. Or is this a side effect of that needs to be solved? Is going to be another conversation that we're going to be having. And so I think that it's going to be a combination of the two. I think that supply chain is going to become a lot more simplified 
going forward. Because we have to um, simplify it now because we're all at home. Well, be- well, not only that, but I think consumers are going to want to see a simplified supply chain. So whereas like made in America used to be a nice political talking point or sounded great, was a nice sticker to have. I think it's going to be something that customers are going to demand because they're going to want to see a little more simplicity in the products that they're building. But at the same time, I think that governments are going to work together in a way that they hadn't before, right? There's going to be a lot more global data sharing agreements and things like that so that we could stop the spread of not only a virus like this or, you know, but take that to potential terrorist threats, take that to misinformation around pandemics if that ever starts to come again so that governments are equipped to handle this. Because I think one thing we really learned here is that you could feel however you want to feel about globalism versus nationalism. But one thing is clear. We are all in this one together. And when the next pandemic hits, we're going to be in that one together. You're, and I'm so te- the world is going to have to start to work together. I'm tearing up. <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Sal. <laughs> but it's, it, you know what's interesting? Like we're talking about this now. A lot of these things are good things, but they're also bad things. And so they're going to push a lot of the things people were scared about the future. They're going to push a lot of it forward for better or for, for better or for worse, which I think is really interesting. Um, and so my, I think for me, my, my second point um, for how Corona is going to change everything is I think people are going to have to get more comfortable being alone with themselves. Um, and this is for better or for worse. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think people always need to be around others, but I think that people need to, people are going to have to figure out how to be alone. And that adds again, like we spoke about technology, automated driving, robot, robotics are going to take a big leap. But obviously, if you're, if you're alone, VR is the ultimate experience. You don't have to leave your house mm. and you can still, quote unquote, go out or feel like you're having fun. And as VR technology gets easier, lighter, um, you can walk around with it. I think it's scary. I think it's really scary to think that you can basically feel like you're out when you're not really out because it's fake. Um, and it's just a ton of dopamine hits that aren't good for you. But again, and I said it again, but for better or for worse, people are going to have to learn how to be alone with themselves. Because this is not the first time this is going to happen. There are going to be a lot more pandemics. I hate to say it, but everyone, everyone's saying it. All the experts are saying it. At the same time, also now, like Americans have had like three months to prepare work from home. Like we've all moved our, you know, companies have moved their operations to being completely online. People have set up their own home office spaces and work from home environments. I know myself, I've got my triple monitor setup set up right now. Yep. Um, nice. I think that you're going to see a lot more people comfortable working from home and comfortable being alone. Again, for better or for worse, maybe meetings will start to move into the office and, you know, day to day little things are going to move to being at home. But I think in areas where people need to focus, like now we all have our own work from home environments. I think we're just going to use them. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Let's get some people on the phone. Yep. All right. Now we're going to hear from Love Tulsidas. Love is the, yeah, he is the founder and CEO of Tech Collusion, an Inc. 500 company with hundreds of employees from around the world. They do tech and IT consulting for companies like JP Morgan, NBC. Uh, Apple, Google goes to them for tech consulting, like all these other huge companies. So he's going to talk a little bit about that. 
Cool. Get them online. Um, yeah. Hey, Rob. Hey, Rob. Hey, Saul. How are you? Good. How you, how you holding up? I'm doing great. Thank you. Great. Awesome. As good as can be right now, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, um, so we wanted to talk about how TechAllution is managing through the coronavirus crisis. You guys have offices around the world in multiple different countries and continents, hundreds of employees. How are you guys dealing with this operationally? Right? How do you see collaboration changing um, in yeah. going forward? You, you know, it's interesting. In the last uh, decade, um, we went from... You know, the decade prior, uh, between 2000 and 2010, there was a lot of, um, you know, work from home, remote work, offshoring, hybrid development happening. Uh, and then in the last 10 years, that's kind of changed. It went back to co-locating and people being together, uh, collaborating live. And uh, it's interesting that it's kind of going back now the other way, right? But we don't really have a choice (laughs) so it's been interesting you know in some ways uh it's a bit more productive because you don't spend time commuting and so on and so forth but in other ways uh it's a bit frustrating uh because you're jumping between conference calls conference calls and there's some uh things um some creative you know uh uh, juices that flow and ideas that come with just being uh you know in the same room that you kind of don't get working remotely. Right. Right. And then you guys have been developing kind of quietly for the past few years. Um, I don't want to give away too much. I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about it? Sounds very mysterious. (laughs) This... uh, this top secret project, well, I could I could tell you a little bit uh, about it. It's called Face Open. Uh, essentially, this is a vision that I had uh, a few years ago of uh, when we were opening a new office, a new development center, and we wanted to um, we want to implement, uh, we wanted to install the state of the art latest access control. And what I was surprised to find that it was the good old biometric fingerprint scanners and badges and so on. And I, and and since then I was, I was committed. I had this vision of the world where uh, people uh, can go in and out of buildings and doors uh, without having to touch anything. Right. So we got on this journey of building this facial recognition, uh, access control door opening technology. So using facial recognition, kind of like in the same way that, let's say, Face ID works on my iPhone, now you're able to not only unlock your phone, but let's say unlock office doors, unlock doors to your home, unlock doors to your building, et cetera. Yeah, so we we envision a device that will be on your door, effectively, right? And the device will, uh, will know who you are, will welcome you. Hey, Rob, welcome. And if you have access to the store, let's say it's your office door or your your uh, apartment door, uh, it will uh, unlock it for you. Uh, but not just unlock, but it will actually open the door for you. So you don't have to touch, uh, you know, you don't have to touch a key, a badge, uh, a keypad to enter a pin code, or you don't have to touch a door handle, very important, uh, to, to open that door again, you know. So that's really what the... 
the technology is all about. Interesting. Amazing. All right, cool. I'm incredibly excited to see this thing happen, uh, especially kind of in a post-corona world where people are going to be a lot more conscious of their personal hygiene. There's a huge need for this right now. Uh, last question, settle debate for us this week. Are you wearing sweatpants, jeans, suit? What have you been doing? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, all of the above, you know, uh, I've been in sweatpants uh, for a long time. And then uh, today, it's funny, I had a a, a video uh, town hall with my team around the world. And I decided to wear jeans with a blazer just, you know, to kind of yeah. feel like I'm going to work because uh, it's kind of weird being at home for so long, working from home, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. All right, man. Thank you for calling in. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, definitely. And we'll definitely have you back on soon. Hopefully, we'll be able to do it in person next time. Oh, Hopefully. absolutely. All right. All right. Cool, Thanks, guys. All right. Awesome. Bye-bye. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right. And now we're going to get on the phone with Joseph Beta. He's a financial modeling analyst for Google, uh, specifically at their data centers. So he's going to talk about what it's like at Google, what it's like at the data centers right now for Corona. So let's, uh, let's add him into the call. Joe. What's going on, man? Hey, guys. What's going on? Hey, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Thank you for having me. How's, uh, how's life corona? How's corona life going? We are hanging in as best as we can right now. What about you guys? We're, uh, we're hanging in. You going crazy yet? Slowly. But, you know, the truth is it doesn't help, right? No, 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 no. Definitely doesn't help. I want to talk about what you're, what you're up to at work right now at Google. Um, what the vibe is there post Corona? Sure. Um, yeah. So Google is really trying to keep that, I guess, high intensity and energy that they usually do around their office. Um, so sending out constant email reminders just to keep your head up and keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, those positivity notes, it'll all be over soon. We'll get back to the office where we could all be together type of thing, um, which is nice to see. Um, it it definitely is helpful to know that everybody around the office is going through the same thing. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're we're all doing the best that we can and everybody's in the same boat here. So we're just trying to keep our heads up. Any of the people you work with, are they nervous? Um, pay cut? Um, I mean, yeah. So I, oh, so, so with Google right now, um, actually, because the company doesn't, I guess you could say, doesn't essentially sell those hard types of goods, um, business hasn't really slowed down in my department, at least. Um, no pay cuts, you know, it's sort of like business as usual, ex- except you're really working from home now. Um, that's really the difference. People are just going stir crazy being in one room. But other than that, you know, it's day by day, the same type of thing. Interesting. Are, are you saying anything different on the data center side? Um, so actually my, yeah, so my sector in, 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 in Google is to focus on those data centers and financial modeling and evaluating those future opportunities. And I actually do not see any effect with that. And I'll tell you why, um, data centers is, you could call it a, I guess a a sector of real estate, if you will. Um, it's really sort of interesting. So a data center is a building or even like a, a group of buildings used to house 
computer centers and its components. So it essentially doesn't follow the rules of traditional real estate. Um, so like the valuations of assets aren't measured in square footage or even a traditional base rent. It's uh, measured on a, a like a power generated metric that metric is megawatts and kilowatts uh for these big tech companies like google and amazon and you know microsoft and facebook each year they're dedicating more and more funds to building or leasing those data centers so like google just recently announced that they're dedicating 10 billion dollars um to data center either acquisitions or building or even leasing uh just in the u.s oh wow so like as more and more people are getting connected and joining, I guess, what you call the cloud or these big tech companies, there's more demand for those data centers that doesn't really get affected by what's going on um, in the outside world in terms of like the coronavirus and things like that. I would assume it's a good thing. More people are on their phones. Than yeah, I mean, exactly. That's really what it is. And, and these data centers are just housing these computer operating systems and essentially holding everybody's storage. So more and more people are signing up for more and more of these tech sites um, and that requires more and more hardware and that hardware needs to be stored. And I guess since there's no people there, right? You don't, it, it, that's exactly why it's not really following the rules of real estate. You're just finding a home for a bunch of computers. You're not trying to find like what exactly. has the most foot traffic or what's the easiest to get to. Exactly. Even like, uh, you know, for these tech companies, including Google, like if, if they were to lease a space, the evaluation is not based off of I guess even if they were to lease it or even own it, you can't you can't understand what the your return is on that specific building or space just because you're not having tenants pay you rent. It's calculated in a way where you know there's there's certain signups and how many people are being you know connected to that specific data center and how much power it will then be generated from it. It's a whole different type of class, um, so really not affected by you know what's going on in the real estate market. At all, or even just in the current market in general. Interesting, cool. Interesting. Cool to Very. see how that's like insulated from the shit storm that the rest of the world is dealing with. But yeah, I know. And the truth is, I'm I'm lucky to be in this in this sector right now. I'll tell you. Great, oh, yeah. Joe. We got we got one last question. Sure. Doing uh, sweatpants or jeans right now? <laughs> I'm doing sweatpants. And wow. I've listened to the show. I've listened to the show before, and I knew this was coming. And I was thinking, <laughs> should I lie? <laughs> should I lie or should I not? But uh, I'm I'm in sweatpants and a t-shirt. Yep. I love. Honestly, it. I'm in sweatpants and a t-shirt right now too. So don't worry. Yeah, nobody's judging you. All right, cool man. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for having me, guys. Joe, talk right, to cool. you later. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Right. Sounds good. I love these call-ins. These are fun. Okay, now we're going to get on the phone with A.B. Sarway. A.B. runs his own group at um, Douglas Elliman Real Estate Group, probably, I think, the number one residential real estate group in New York City. Um, so he's going to give us some insight into the New York market, which is probably the hardest hit by coronavirus, um, and what he's up to day to day. You know, he can't, he can't show apartments um, because everyone's home. Save it for the call. Put him on the call. All right. All right. Let's get him on. Let's get him on. A.B. Sarway. How are you? What's going on, man? Nothing much. It's weathering the storm. Welcome to Casual Poor. I'm, I'm honored to be on it. Thank you for having me. How are you holding up? So we're doing well. We're doing well over here. We're managing the storm. I mean, right now, the brokerage community is essentially out of business because 
of course, because <laughs> of Cuomo, you know, we aren't able to show apartments, which is the, the sales. Um, but right now, I think for people that are fortunate enough to have this opportunity, this is actually a blessing in disguise. Interesting. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because right now it gives you a chance to look at your business and really dive into it and see what works and what doesn't work and potentially prepare to come out of this thing better than before. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it gives you that extra time because you're not on the, you're not pressured to go run out on appointments and be in meetings to actually sit down and analyze every section of the business. So you're saying you're taking advantage of your time in a different way because you don't have to be out moving all day. And how's the market? Uh, pretty much at a halt. Right now in New York City proper, it is at a halt. I mean, there's only, I think, two contracts signed over $4 million last week, which is- And what is it usually? Usually about 21, 22. Mm. Uh, We've seen weeks of 30. And then, you know, I think last January, we were averaging about 15. So usually at least 15, but last week was at two, but we're seeing the Hamptons market go nuts right now. Weird. Why is that? Uh, people that have a lot of money want to go have space. And in the Hamptons market, you could sign a quick lease and you could go have the space and size you want that you don't have to be in an apartment with your entire family um, and you can relax out there. Let me ask you something. Um, so like I've seen, obviously there's like sites like Zillow and Street Easy that help you find real estate online. But like, then there's like these other companies like Matterport or like these other uh, virtual reality companies that are like creating these 3D maps of homes to help people look at homes that way. Do you think you're going to see like more of those popping up now? Is that like a way that some of these companies can be selling more real estate? So uh, Matterport is a great company. They make actually great hardware to uh, make virtual renderings of your home. Uh, A lot of brokers have been using it. Uh, already, but now I definitely think there's going to be a lot more brokers making sure that it's done. So in the in the case there is something like this, or there's a lack of ability to show an apartment, they'll have that backup. But realistically, no one's buying an apartment off a of virtual showing. It may it may just generate some preliminary interest before you get them inside the apartment, which is always better because if you have an interested person before they even walk in the door, your your sale is halfway there. Mm. So may not be worth the investment, basically. Basically what you're saying. I, I No, I do think it's worth the investment. I mean, I know I'm going to make sure all my listings have it. Uh, it's very important, but it, it may be even more important if you're trying to get international customers and they can't get into New York right away and you want to show them the property and they could basically give you a yes or a no on the spot. And if it's a yes, then you, they could come into New York and come view the property. It's, it's way of getting interest before they even come in the door. Right. Right. Uh, I, have, I, have, I, have a, I have the last question for you. Yeah. Um, what's the first thing you're going to do uh, when you can go outside again? First thing I'm going to do when I go outside again is I'm going to make out. sure to have he's going out. I'm definitely going to go out, but business or personal? Both. For business, I'm going to make sure to have a sit down meeting with every one of my customers. Mm. Uh, for personal, I'm going for a very nice lunch, probably with you, so uh, to <laughs> you know discuss how we're going to strategize moving forward. I love it. And then settle a debate for us. Um, 
Sweatpants or jeans this past week? I've been getting dressed every single day. Um, there it is. Pants, uh, maybe jeans. I've not put on sweatpants yet. Really? Not once? Not once. And uh, oh yeah, I, I'm not a, you can't, you can't work and, and stay focused when you're, when you're dressing lazy. Smart man. <laughs> All, All right. right, cool. All right, AB, thanks for calling in, man. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right, and now we're going to be talking to Rowan Winch and Lewis Weed, some teenage memers with millions and millions of followers across their accounts who have made a ton of money just by making memes. So stick around. Okay, we are back here at Casual Poor. We are zooming in. <laughs> the meme, memers, I, I don't know how to say it. Meme, the meme men. The, the uh, meme yeah. men. The <laughs> meme men. Connoisseur. Yeah. Meme men. The connoisseurs. <laughs> We've got Rowan Winch, Lewis Weed, top memers, expert memers. Guys, what's going on? What's going on? Not much. With all the coronavirus stuff going on, uh, memes are definitely like taking off, especially online commerce, stuff like that. It's definitely taking off like re- as of recently. I, I would I definitely. Because well, it's like nothing else to fucking do. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's home and everyone's yeah. bored looking for something to do. So, so my cool. screen time on my phone has gone like through oh, the roof. I'm not even going to check mine. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, you, yeah, you'll feel terrible about yourself. So, <laughs> so, just so just so the audience knows, um, guys, just give a quick background on your meme experience here you know so yeah so uh, i'm rowan winch um I, I used to run an account called zuck with 11 c's and at one point i grew it to 1.2 million followers over three years it got disabled and now i run demon nostrils and satan nostrils which used to have a few hundred thousand followers nice and then um my name is lewis weed and i ran an account called grandpa's genitals and i got it to <laughs> sixty thousand followers along with a couple other accounts too that Weren't as big as that, but definitely had a considerable amount of followers. And that I actually ran a meme account for maybe a year total, I think, actively. There were time periods where it was disabled, but that's a, about a year, I'd say. So let's, I just want to start off with how I know you guys. I just want to start off there. Um, Rowan, you had an article written up about you in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, sure. months ago. And yeah. uh, I woke up, that was Sunday morning. I woke up, my dad handed me the paper and he said, um, read this article. I want to talk to this kid. And I'm like, okay. So I read the article and he's like, let's, and this was, this was a Sunday. He goes, I want to get on the phone with him now. I go, well, what do you want to talk to him about? And he goes, um, he goes, I don't know. I just want to talk. I just want to get on the phone. I go, all right. So I couldn't find Lewis's information anywhere. And uh of all places, I found it on LinkedIn and shot him a message on LinkedIn, got him reply like two minutes later. Like, I think I said to you, like, um, hey, man, great stuff in the article. We, 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 we're part of the test group. We think it's the future. We think, we think your, your career has a bright future. I don't know what I wrote, but he yeah. answered in two, minute, two minutes later and we got on the phone. Um, he was on the phone with his mother. I have the article right here, actually. I still have it. There's Rowan. That's proof. Sorry. Oh, look at that guy. Oh, yeah. And, um, and we set a meeting. Rowan came into our office in uh, New York with his, uh, his parents, actually, which was 
really cool. And uh, we started talking about ideas and things we could do together. So right now we're working on a project. And then Rowan said to me, hey, can I, can I bring in a partner on this? And I said, I said sure. So uh, we had another meeting in New York. Rowan, where are you from? Pennsylvania. And Lewis, you're from? Connecticut. Connecticut. So Lewis and Rowan come to the office in New York and we're sitting there and we're having a whole meeting and we're talking about this new project we're working on. And I asked, I go, you know, how do you guys know each other? And um, like, oh, you know, we've known each other for like a couple of months. And, oh, it was like, you guys meet in school or like, no, we just met. Like we yeah, just we met just for the first time. Stuff. It's, which is wait, 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 wait. You, you just met through meme stuff. What does that mean? Yeah, it's just like meme pages. We all kind of know each other. Like when we all make group chats with each other and um, we met in that group chat. It's like our own uh, little world. Everyone knows everyone. Basically. Yeah. So my question is, how do you grow a meme page? How do you get, okay, if I just started one tomorrow, how, how do I get it from zero to 600,000, 700,000, million, 2 million followers? Like, how do you do that? Can anyone do it? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, anyone could do it. I mean, the biggest thing is being a part of these group chats that meme pages are in because, I mean, a lot, usually well, most of the stuff in these group chats are pretty stupid, um, but it is a really good learning environment and you kind of get a vibe of how these bigger pages keep growing and what's working right now to um, cross promote on other meme pages. Um, so it's all about community. Yeah, it's all about communicating with each other and obviously posting memes. That's definitely a big part too. And also like that's, it's not as hard to grow from a hundred thousand followers to a million followers as it is to grow from zero to a hundred thousand. So I'd say a huge part of it is definitely getting started. And that's where the majority of people get sort of filtered out with, people who are actually going to succeed when it comes to growing their money. Why do you think you two specifically like picked up steam in a way that, you know, a bunch of these other people aren't able to? So I don't think it's about meme taste, so to speak. You can, you could have the worst memes, but still have hundreds of thousands of followers. It's, it's definitely not about the meme taste. It's sort of either pure luck. Some people start out and they just gain a lot of traction posting memes because people like their personality a lot and do like the content they post. And then there's also a majority of people who start out by spending a little bit of money. And uh, that's definitely how I started out. I, originally, I started my meme page with a friend. And then um, we bought our way to 10,000 followers buying promotions from other meme pages to grow. And then after that, we grew naturally, got to 30,000 followers. And then I ended up buying him off the account so I could own it solely for $30. So that... <laughs> So that happened. And then I just, I kept reinvesting the money I made off my page and doing other stuff on Instagram and then growing my page bigger. And, bigger. and your page got taken down, correct? Yeah. Same day as Rowan's. So, how many followers did you have again? 650,000. And Rowan Zuck had how many again? 1.2 million. Wow. I wanna, so what was up? What yeah. was up with that? It seems like there was just like one day purge of all the meme accounts. Is there any yeah, kind of, do you guys have anything from behind the scenes about why that happened? Um, well, meme purges, purges happen on Instagram almost yearly. Uh, I don't know, in 2018 on Christmas day, they removed a similar amount of pages, but those pages had way more followers. Like I know at God got, got disabled and he, he had a ton. Society Feelings had 11 million followers. Comedy Slam had 12 million. Um, and there was a ton more and not, almost none of the, I don't think any of those pages have come back and. That, that purge happened because of buying and selling usernames, I'm pretty sure. 
Um, this purge happened uh, in July 2019. Um, we still don't really know why it happened. Uh, no, there, there hasn't been any like common trait that's happened between all the pages that got disabled. And we, kind, we all kind of know who got disabled in the purge. We have a big list of everyone. And no one has, not everybody has the same thing. Like there were pages that cre created solely safe and original content that got disabled. There were pages that posted a ton of ads. There was pages that posted no ads. Like, and all Instagram has really said about it was that we were disabled for violating their terms of service. So yeah, we've got no definitive um, answer from Instagram. And as well as banning a bunch of meme accounts, they also banned a lot of personal accounts, like my personal account that only had photos of me. So that I guess I got a little bit unlucky there. Weird. But, uh, I'm, not, I'm definitely not the only one. Some of my school friends, one of my school friends got banned with 2.2 million followers <laughs> and his personal account as well. <laughs> so Shout out Mecca memes. Yeah, we've still not gotten a solid answer as to why. We've gotten a bunch of different answers and most of them don't really make sense. How long did it take for you guys to get to where you were followers wise? Uh, it took me two years. I, when I hit, a, I, it get, took me two years to hit 100,000 followers, which I gained all purely naturally. And then from 100,000 to a million, it took about eight months. Wow. Okay. So once you get the flywheel going on this thing, it just keeps, I mean, it just keeps churning out followers and then they yeah. just shut it all down in a day and you guys have to start from scratch again. Right, it's not like you I can mean, take the followers you got from Zuck with 11 C's and then move that over to Satan's <laughs> nostrils. Right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't yeah, necessarily yeah. from scratch because I got kind of lucky because I didn't get all of my accounts removed. I mean, de Demon Nostrils and Satan Nostrils were the backup accounts for Zuck, um, just in uh, case those accounts were ever disabled, just in case Zuck was ever disabled. Let's talk about the perks um, of being uh, meme famous. What are some of the perks? Um, well, I mean... There are, there are some perks, like you get to work with a lot of um, artists, so to speak. Uh, a, lot, a lot more artists nowadays are getting into memes, making memes, because memes get spread around a lot, and it's a good way to like, showcase your music to a, a diverse audience, to a bunch of people, and really get it out there. So that's been a recent trend in uh, up-and-coming artists like Young Gravy and Baby No Money. Right. So they'll give you free tickets to their concert backstage sometimes, if you're lucky, and then definitely like the money that comes from it too being a kid and all we don't really have any bills so it's just it's just money we get to spend on anything basically that most kids don't really have yeah it's a nice source of disposable income um some other perks can just having such a large audience you can use that to promote other ventures that you might be interested in whether that you want to start making youtube videos or if you want to grow a discord server or you want to start making your own music or whatever. Getting recognition is a really big perk. Having a lot of followers is always a good thing, I guess, um, because you get recognized by people with all the, who also have a lot of followers or who are, or who are famous people. Like um, I went, got backstage to a Juice World and Ski Mask concert, uh, and that was pretty crazy because they're awesome. both like top, 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 tippy top artists. And um, I got to meet both of them, and they both followed me and everything. Wow. Let's talk about the, let's talk about the article. Well, one thing I wanted to ask about the article to this point, your closing on this article is, the more followers you have, the more voice you have. The more clout you have, the more power you have. <laughs> but you also mentioned that you want to have clout, but you don't want to have fame. 
Yeah, what I mean, there's a difference between the difference between cloud and fame because I just assumed that those were kind of one and the same, and they the were same. interchangeable words. I mean, someone who has clout is, in my eyes, is someone who just who knows a lot of people, and has a lot of followers, but they they can go outside of their house without being bombarded by paparazzi or fans or everything like that. Like I, I've met a few of my followers in person before, and. For the most part, they were cool. But I mean, like if you look at someone who's like super famous, like Justin Bieber or something, I mean, he can't even leave his house without being harassed by paparazzi. Like that, like that's something I never want. And I never want to look at myself like a famous person. And I don't really know why that is. I just, I don't know. I don't really like the idea of it. But I like the idea of having clout. <laughs> I mean, people yeah. who are famous have a lot of clout. But the difference between people who just have clout is they're not complete. Their life isn't completely about being famous. Like they can do just about anything they want because they have the money and resources, but they're not, they, they can do it privately without having to um, deal with fans and paparazzi and press and all this. Pretty much a lot of the perks of being famous, except without being in like the public's eye all the time or in the eye of the media, so to speak. Interesting. So I could still get into any party, can still walk into any single room with anyone or hit anyone up and you'll get a response, but you're not getting flagged down by paparazzi everywhere you go and things like that. Right. Interesting. So I mean, so, then to that point, would you say that like a entertainment lawyer or someone like that who like works? For yeah, a bunch of famous like people, like like a man. Yeah, like a manager or or, um, or, a, or a CEO who isn't like Elon Musk or, you know, like someone who who has a lot of connections and a lot of they have a good amount of money and resources but they are not absurdly in everyone's faces and they can just be like a normal person and, and they, they don't have to put on an act on the floor as well yeah and they still what and they still have some sort they, of influence over people yeah mm, but they still have some sort of influence got it is there a limit to the amount of meme pages that instagram can have not obviously no. not like cloud storage wise for accounts. Yeah. I'm just saying, is there a point where people are like, I can't look at this anymore? On Instagram right now, that's not going in the best direction. I mean, ever since our, the meme page purge that me and Lewis got met, messed up in um, happened, the meme community has been kind of dry and kind of out of touch because that purge consisted of the top pages and all of the most influential pages in the meme community and a lot of really good creators. And because of that, I creators weren't getting as reposted as much. Um, like people who made their own content that was, uh, because they weren't getting, and, and because they weren't getting reposted as much, they weren't getting as much recognition, which gave them less motivation for making their own content. Um, so then there's that. And then because of the lack of our presence, other, a lot of newer pages don't really have anybody that they can go to as like a mentor because, I mean, the pages that are still around that have been around for a while don't really want to help any of the newer pages. And the pages that really liked helping newer pages all got disabled. <laughs> so um, those newer pages started coming up with their own ideas of how to grow their accounts. And that turned in that very quickly turned into uh, abusing and manipulating the Instagram terms of service and to posting things that would 
take advantage of things like breast cancer and that and like they would post things that it wasn't breast cancer related but the post said it was for breast cancer awareness but it was really just so they can post porn without Ah. getting this and they use that as a tactic to gain followers and right now a lot of these newer pages are not really posting memes they're mostly just posting like girls and videos that will get a lot of views rather than memes and things that will entertain their followers that's one of the cons of um these group chats i mean they're most likely in group chats with other pages who have millions of followers called shout out for shout out group chats and they just Mm. will promote each other's pages um using whatever method works whether that be really obvious clickbait or porn um and they will a lot of times go really overboard with it so because it, it the problem with getting a lot of followers really fast is that that number becomes more important to you than who your followers are and what your page really is and i think a lot of people fail to realize this and that if you're a meme page you should be posting memes and if you're a fact page please you could post facts i mean there's nothing wrong with posting ads just try to remember to also post memes on top of that because yeah. then you'll then you'll oversaturate your page with ads and the ads will be less effective and you'll garner a more hateful audience and you'll lose followers from it a lot of pages just see their followers as a number rather than people who are following for that niche well yeah. said yeah so as a result of the purge there's definitely like a, a long string of diverse uh, negative effects on not just the meme community but definitely like the original content creator community and there's less i guess you could say there's less content out there so there's definitely a need for quality content there's some sort of demand for pages that post quality content so now if now would definitely be the time to uh if you were going to start a meme page to definitely try and start one because you have you would have definitely a better chance of taking off and getting lucky than you would any other time what would you guys recommend to someone who wanted to start a meme page tomorrow or today or today just um yeah try to have fun with it and try to make friends in the meme community i mean it's a full-time job it's not necessarily a full-time job unless you make it a full-time job. If you're just starting out, you don't need to make it a full-time job. I mean, those group chats are not just exclusive to pages with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers or even millions of followers. Like I've, I've seen and been in many that are just pages that have only a few hundred followers or pages that just have a few thousand followers. I mean, those kind of group chats are vital, in my opinion, to the if not the grace, the relevance of a meme page. Well, how do you even access these meme group chats though? You, you, just, you just message them. I mean, it's, it, everything with Instagram meme pages is really casual because for the most part, we're all around the same age. We're all around between 14 and 18. Yeah. And um, we're all kind of used to just messaging people on the internet. Talking um, about random stuff, whatever it may be. I want to talk to you guys about coronavirus for a second, because I think that you guys are, let's say, like the gatekeepers to, I mean, like millennial and Gen Z humor, right? You guys are the content, you guys are the content creators and the curators at the same time. 
you guys are posting the memes that we're going to say, ha, 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 and then share in our own group chats, respectively. Yeah. You guys are kind of responsible for how we, you know, how, what, what it is that we do and don't laugh about when it comes to world events. I mean, memes are usually incredibly timely. It's its own form of news in a sense. Um, when you guys look at something like coronavirus, I'm sure there's like a lot of content out there, both really funny and really tasteless, right? How do yeah. you guys make that differentiation? Because I feel like a huge part of our humor also as a generation kind of teeters on tasteless. Just Yeah, like- I mean, me- memes in general, um, they can go to the extreme and they can just be directly insulting or offensive. Um, I mean, a meme about saying that coronavirus is going to take over the world versus a meme that's about saying all old people should die of coronavirus and no one cares. Like those are two different things. Like, like I like there was like, there's like real memes just about like, about that kind of stuff. And, um, I mean, to each their own when it comes to humor, like I'm not going to sit here and be like that kind of humor style is bad, but, uh, there's content out there for everyone. There's something for yeah, when memes tend to, um, make light of just about every significant event whether that be a good thing or a bad thing and when it's bad when it's a bad thing like 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 coronavirus um it can make coronavirus a lot less serious and people might start making fun of people who have coronavirus and not believe that they have coronavirus because they're just trying to be fun because they think that they're just trying to be funny um so Definitely differentiating between like humor that crosses the line and humor that appeals to the majority of people is something like I'll I'll call it a skill, but it's not really like you you can call whatever you want, but it's definitely something we picked up on like after posting memes for so many years and having tens of thousands of videos in my camera roll. I I have to buy two terabytes of iCloud space just to hold twenty thousand memes in my camera roll. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, got, got it. So, I mean, there's no real easy way. Sometimes people are going to cross the line. Sometimes they are. And, and I mean, it sounds like as long as you're not directly offensive to one group of people maliciously and without any real joke on the other side of it, then, you know, in those cases, don't post those memes. But mm-hmm. other than that, memes are fair game. And I like what you said. Yeah. I think memes do just make light of everything, both good and bad. Yeah. And you know, it's, it, and it'll either help the situation or hurt the situation. It really just depends on the people sharing and the people viewing the memes. Yeah. Um, like, it's, 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 not, it's not a bad thing that it might make light of a bad thing. Like, That's uh, right. about it, I would say. Letting people, allowing people to laugh about coronavirus rather than being super scared of it and thinking that the whole world's going to end is a lot better than people being super scared of it and think that the whole world's going to end. Um, it also creates a sense of community around it. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden now we could all laugh at it together instead of just freaking out watching CNN and Fox tell us all the reasons why and how this is going to kill us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, for another, like, there's been memes about people who have been hoarding toilet paper and hand sanitizer and everything like that. And I think that is directly contributed to people having common sense and not hoarding those kinds of things. Because mm. they don't want to be seen as a crazy person, like it shows you in this meme that this meme page posted. Because I don't know, 
definitely have more influence than pe- some people might think it some people aren't in touch with internet culture as much as people like us yeah i mean it's, it's more than just like a silly cat <laughs> very well, actually that brings me to that which is memes have largely evolved right like when like when we were all just getting started with memes you had like the why you know guy and like all that crap that was like super funny when i was 14 right <laughs> but like now if i saw that i'd be like this is nothing now memes have to make me feel terrible about myself for me to want to like them so how, wh- how and why do you think that started to happen so uh, I think after you tell a joke a hundred times it doesn't get as funny so like new jokes start developing and so different senses of humor different ways of interpreting uh, different types of memes have sort of surfaced in the past year or two, especially. And um, di- people find a bunch of a variety of different things funny. There's still people who find memes like that that were made 10 years ago funny. And then there's people like us who laugh at those type of memes who because it's just, it's it's stupid. And there's just a bunch of different types of humor. And that's just, that's how it's evolved in the recent years, especially. I know humor now is with memes, especially it's kind of just become like, what is the most shocking, I guess, like what brings the most shock factor? Nowadays, anything is funny, especially in the meme machine. I think you can make light of absolutely anything. All right. So now we're going to move to the final question, but usually we only ask this question once, but now that we're interviewing two people at the same time, I guess we could ask this question twice. Sal, do you want to, do you want to get it going? Yeah. So I would definitely consider you guys entrepreneurs. Um, started something, you made it happen, made it big. So question we ask all our guests at the end of every episode is if entrepreneurship is born or made. Um, I, wouldn't, I would say it's probably more so taught than made. I mean, with things like meme pages, um, a lot of meme pages before like monetizing them was widespread. Uh, all they did was just post memes for fun and they'd be just lying down in their bed. And then they learned that they could monetize their page by, by just posting ads. Um, and then they got a lot more into making money off of their page and um, they might go and might, might have gone to other vendors whether that be selling merch or e-commerce. Um, so I think it's a, I, th- I think it's a, it's a learned thing. There's definitely a new type of entrepreneur being developed. One where uh, maybe it's a little bit of luck or it's getting into something early, just like internet stuff is like, just like the meme community. We got in, I guess you could say relatively early and we're able to capitalize on that and then grow our meme pages off that. But I think there's, go- there's going to be a whole new generation of entrepreneurs who take advantage of uh, non uh, traditional methods of maybe making money. So I think, I think it's half born. You have to have um, some sort of mindset when it comes to approaching entrepreneurship of any form. And I think it's half taught as well, because if you, if you want something, you have to learn that you have to go get it and nobody's just going to hand it to you. So I would definitely say it's 50, 50. Nice. All right, cool. Guys. Hell yeah. Guys, thank you, thank you both for coming Thanks. on the show of course and, uh, all right all right great everybody
And we are back with Casual Poor. That was Rowan Winch and Lewis Weed. Crazy, crazy stuff. Really cool to have them on the show. And, 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 and you know what? Honestly, hear their perspectives on 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 the fact that these kids who are 15 and 17, have they basically have influence. I mean, they were talking about influence. That they influence how people think about the news. A, a meme account, 15-year-old. That That is like the another level of the internet and the power of the internet another level yeah all right so now let's talk about stock buybacks in the context of the two trillion dollar bill a little bit of context um we all know about the two trillion dollar stimulus package where we all get just passed in the house from the government yeah starting at uh, anyone making below seventy five thousand dollars a year gets twelve hundred dollars from the government and then it goes down until you make $100,000 a year or $99,000 Something like that. Then, if, yeah, if you're, yeah. Mar- if you're married, you have kids, and it goes up for $500 for each kid, something. Yeah. We're there, not here to ta- tell you. There, what- there's an accountant somewhere that, that has a podcast that explained that part to you. But the reason that this bill was held up originally was because of this provision around where $500 billion of that two, $2 trillion was going to be spent, which was in... Um, support for businesses to keep their lights on. Uh, one of the big issues was, should this be regulated? Should companies be able to use this money for something called stock buybacks? So quickly, before we jump into the conversation about stock buybacks and how we feel about them, here's a bit of what they are. Stock buybacks are when companies use their profits to purchase shares back from investors, typically at a premium to make it worth it to them. Uh, the reason that they do this is that naturally it drives up the price of the stock and even has residual effects in terms of how the stock is perceived, right? Um, you know, so, for example, since yeah. there's less shares available, your earnings per share will go up. Um, you typically do this. You typically do this uh, when there's no other profitable endeavor that you could spend your money on, so you use it to give value and liquidity back to your shareholders. Well, that's what they say that. They don't have, you know, well, the company can use that money to buy another company. They can use it for R&D. They can use it to build new headquarters or they can give the money back to investors. They, then they do that two ways. Like we said, one way is stock buybacks. The other way, which you guys may be more familiar with, is a dividend, right? Mm-hmm. Which is basically cash in your pocket, just given back to you as an investor in the company. So how do you feel about, so how do you feel about stock buybacks as an invest listen (laughs) would i i'm a long-term investor so i should say that they should take that money and buy another new company and grow their infrastructure and invest in r d but i also like watching the stock price go up so i'm 50 50 as an investor i obviously love it um but from like a logical moral standpoint i'm i'm kind of in the middle but as far as uh when the government bails out one of these companies from corona like the airlines or if they have to bail out boeing um they should never be able to buy back stock that they should never ever ever they're basically taking taxpayer money right and putting Mm -hmm. it back into their stock and giving their investors like if I'm American Airlines and I got bailed out by the government, I'm putting my money back into my own stock for my investors and taxpayers aren't getting anything out of it. So it doesn't make sense. So I think any company that's getting bailed out from the government should take the money, 
uh, hire more people, invest in infrastructure, and get the economy flowing, not put it back into their stock price. And by the way, when you do stock buybacks, most of the time, the CEOs and the executives make most of the money because, because they, get, they get paid more when the stock goes up. And they're the ones making the decision. So that's even worse. So no, 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 no. No stock buybacks for Corona bailout. Um, as far as regular buybacks, I'm 50-50. Right. And um, should be noted that in the Corona case um, for the $2 trillion bill, um, stock buybacks were made. Um, ooh, there's precautions to stop, stop uh, stock buybacks from being able to happen. So that's some good news um, on that side. Um, so like you, I fucking hate the concept of stock buybacks. Um, yeah, you're definitely not. Not for you. Not my scene. Not my scene. Not my scene. Not my scene at all. I mean, look, the big thing here is like, again, you can do that. Fine. Do that. When there is absolutely no other profitable endeavor that you could spend your money on, do it. Do it then. Which, by the way, is never the case. It's never the case. And by the way, this isn't even just like an ideological argument against it. Because believe me, I can make the ideological argument against this for days, but the trends are on my side, right? Look at the business roundtable, right? The business roundtable is a collection of CEOs of kind of all the major US companies. They represent like $7 trillion in annual revenue and about 15 million employees, about 182 companies. Some of them are like 3M, Ford, JP Morgan, Chase, Amazon, American Airlines, Home Depot, Walmart, Honeywell, Wells Fargo, you name it. All the big companies are a part of this. And they recently put out a letter actually explaining that the entire nature and the culture of their companies is likely going to change in the near future. And here's why. We're moving away from our fiduciary responsibility being to our shareholders, so who we're responsible for building value to, to being to our shareholders and investors, and actually moving it more towards our stakeholders. And the Business Roundtable signed a letter, all of them, confirming that they're going to be going this route too. So who are your stakeholders, right? Your shareholders are your investors, right? Or people who have shares in the company. Your stakeholders are people like your employees, your vendors, your customers, all the people that are affected by your business. And their argument is... If we can invest here sustainably, then at the risk of the short-term effects that it'll have on our stock, we can build a lot more sustainable businesses and in the long term, build actual real sustainable stakeholder value and shareholder value at the same time. And so under that assumption, there is literally no profitable endeavor that makes sense because under this assumption, you should be investing all of your company profits into improving stakeholder value. Stock buybacks improve shareholder value. They do not improve stakeholder value. Agreed. And I think, I think everything you just said speaks to a company that's focused on long-term growth. Because if you invest in your stakeholders, like your vendors, like your employees, um, like your infrastructure, which means hiring more people, you're building a long-term business. So- yeah, I, 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 no, I, I, I totally agree. But then you look at companies like Apple who, I mean, I think they had the most, they did over the past, I think, five years, bought, the, bought back the most stock out of any other company um, on the stock market. But they do both. Like, they buy back a lot of stock because they just have so much damn money in the bank. They don't Is have it to do it. 250 billion in cash. Yeah, like so that? they buy back stock and they, and they invest in their company and hire people. So they kind of do both. Right. So I, so I guess if you could do both and do both, right? Right. 
Exactly. I agree with you. It, it, look, a shareholder is a stakeholder. And if this is a way that it improves your stakeholder value, one of those stakeholders being your shareholder, then sure. But as long as you're investing back into your stakeholders. Agreed. Shout out Tim Cook. Shout out Tim Cook. As if we don't do it on every single fucking episode. I'll do it. Uh. I'll do it every single episode <laughs> until something happens to the show or until we get bought out by, by SiriusXM, Spotify, or, 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 you know, if Apple wants to start putting together podcasts, you know, shout out Tim Cook. We'll work with you on that. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious to see if there's any single episode of Casual Poor that doesn't include me talking about how I don't invest in the stock market and you talking about Tim Cook. We're going to make a compilation video a couple of years from now. It's going to be like a 40 hour compilation. Video so, or, or you know what? Hopefully we'll have so many people that watch the show. We'll have, you know, like a, like one, one, of, one of our fans. Yeah. Like they post it on YouTube and we're like, oh, this is cool. But we're, we're, we'll get there. We'll get there with your support, listeners. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. All right. You want to wrap it up for this week? Yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's wrap it up. All right. Up. Let's. Yeah, let's wrap it up for this week. Um, again, thank you everybody for listening. Our theme music is by Daniel Lerner. Our album art is by Evan Parnes. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, follow us on Twitter at Casual Poor. And on Instagram at Casual Poor Pod. And now follow us on Facebook at Casual Poor. Just type that right just, into your type search in. bar Nobody, on Facebook. There's no and, ads on Facebook. Just type There it in. are ads, but I don't know if anyone uses the ads. Just type in Casual Poor. We're the, we're the one with the logo that you see on every and, other. And TikTok coming soon. Uh, do I have to start to make TikToks too? I don't know. I, I like every time, I, every, time, every time I'm on TikTok, I think, well, maybe we should post something here. I, I don't know if it's going to I'm down to start making TikToks. It just feels like a lot of editing. I'm not doing any dances. It's <laughs> casual for dance. You don't want to see. You don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you guys want to see salt dance. Anyways, that wraps Oops. up casual pour for this week. Thank you guys again for listening, and we will see you next Tuesday. Cheers. <laughs>